0: Right, back to church history. Uh, we ended last time on kind of beginning to talk a little bit about Thomas Campbell's religious background. Uh, because, uh, what we were talking about obviously, (coughs) excuse me, the the spotlight primarily is on Alexander when it comes to the, the Campbell family and their role in this restoration movement. But, we can't overlook what Thomas, and a lot of times what we say in our vernacular, what he brought to the table, right? He caused some things to happen in the way he reared his children, and in the choices that he made in life, as an example. And so we began to talk a little bit about his uh background, and his high regard for the Bible, and how that often when... Uh, Alexander would go into his father's study he would see him having having an open bible and an open concordance uh sitting there as he studied the bible though he had a room full of books uh not that he didn't appreciate books or what uh men had to say on certain matters but that goes back to the whole premise of restoring new testament christianity doesn't really matter what anyone else says it matters what the Bible says. And then faithful men and women who repeat that and teach those things, then we can honor them for their great efforts as well. But what happened over time, and this is what happens when someone begins to study the Bible with an open mind and an honest heart, is he began to migrate further and further away from the creeds of uh, denominationalism More to what the Bible had to say about things, uh, uh, that God intends for us to be able to do. So, uh, we'd already previously mentioned the denomination to which Thomas Campbell belonged. He belonged to the Cedar or the Secedar branch of the Presbyterian Church. Let's talk a little bit about that and kind of understand a little bit about the Secedar sect. Because it was born out of some problems that was happening in Scotland at the time. And we're going to notice some of these problems. And, uh, they're going to sound very familiar to the problems we read about in Germany and in, uh, uh England and different places when it came to, uh, different places in Europe when it came to the Catholic Church. In Scotland in 1559, there was a large class of insurgents that held the tenets of the Calvinistic belief system. Of course, we talked about John Calvin as a part of that Reformation movement and how he uh, propagated those errors that the world, for the most part, embraces today. He was the, the main pusher behind that. He didn't originate those ideas, or they didn't originate within him, but he probably pushed those ideals more, uh, greater, and further than anyone else. And in my opinion, one of the most wicked and evil men who ever existed in this world for the problems that he caused uh, concerning uh, the Lord's church and, and God's Bible. At any rate, <clears throat> uh, those who uh, opposed... Uh, who held these beliefs, also opposed the regent or the ruling class at that time. So, of course, Elizabeth, Queen of England, hated those people. Okay? But, what's one of the things that we learn, uh, and that we've learned just over the past, uh, you know, recent time when it comes to politics? Politics creates strange bedfellows, doesn't it? People who would ordinarily hate one another will tend to team up if there's a greater enemy that they hate more. So, she found herself fighting on the side of this insurgent group that held these Calvinistic doctrines and who opposed the Regency. She teamed up with them and they began to fight a common enemy. Now, uh... She was victorious and there was a lot of political wranglings going on. And one of the things that was primarily happening at that time, uh, was, uh, a treaty that was signed. Now this treaty that was signed in 1560 was the Treaty of Edinburgh. And what that did was it ended a 12 year siege of Leith, a city. And, uh, uh, during that time, French troops were placed near the port of Edinburgh, and uh, uh, this uh, treaty provided that the government of Scotland was turned over to a council of lords. Okay, and so because of that, and the people that with whom she teamed up, because they had a common uh, a common enemy that that brought about this Treaty of Edinburgh, and we're not going to go into the the historical parts of that, but it was an issue that they had with the French government. And so they teamed up, and by teaming up, and by giving a concession here and giving a concession there, and the Queen doing this and that, what happened was the leaders of Scotland came under this Council of Lords, okay? And that Scottish Parliament uh, was able to reinforce this Calvinistic doctrine, and they became... Uh, they were able to establish Calvinistic Protestantism. Now remember, that was very important to a lot of people in Europe because of the Roman Catholic Church. So they were able to do that. They had to kind of, you know, uh, I used to hear my dad say when he'd go to vote, he said, well, I had to hold my nose and go in and vote for this particular person because it was a lot better than the other guy, right? Uh, <laughs> I remember... uh Again, it's not a political class, just a memory I have, and I thought it was very funny. Uh, the first time Barack Obama ran for president, he ran against uh, Senator John McCain, who, in my opinion, one of the sorriest senators we've ever had in the United States Senate. But anyway, who are you going to vote for? You know, if you, if you hold to conservative principles, you know, you're going to vote for the person who's more conservative. That doesn't mean they're very conservative, Right. If you hold the liberal principles, who are you going to vote for? You're going to vote for someone who's more liberal or someone who's more conservative. Well, you may not like either one, right? And so we see that happening here. So they both conceded some things to one another, but ultimately they both got some things that they wanted. So this, uh, Calvinistic Protestantism, uh, became the established religion in Scotland. Now what's the issue automatically? It became the established religion. What does that mean? That's what the government declared was the religion. Has that ever caused a problem in history up to that time? Well, that's what the whole problem's been, right? That's what has led us to men like Barton W. Stone, uh, James O'Kelly, and now the Campbell family to buck up against those systems. So it's almost as if people can't learn from history, Right? they have a this tunnel vision <clears throat> they want what they want and if they were to just step back and take a look at it they could see very clearly well it's the same deal it's just a different name it's just a different philosophy but i'm still pushing on people something they don't want which they resisted themselves right people didn't want the catholic church so they started this idea of protestantism uh they didn't uh, uh, or uh, the Church of England, or whatever the case may be. <clears throat> One's as bad as the other, isn't it? But it just happens to be one particular group wanted that institution, so they were able to overlook and uh, uh, see that because they felt like it uh, benefited them. But Calvinism still <clears throat> faced some hardships. It was established, but... Uh, it was a few years before it was able to get a foothold. And I think that, uh, many have credited a, ma- a man by the name of John Knox for allowing Calvinism to get a foothold in Scotland because he opposed Mary Stuart, who was the regent or the ruler at that time of Scotland, and she was a militant Catholic. Okay? But that prevented Catholicism from taking over the nation. But, like we've seen in the past, and we've talked about Henry VIII and his daughters, as they battled for the throne in England, uh, you know, changes were coming, and there was going to be an issue. Uh, so Mary became unpopular. And in 1566, she was forced to abdicate the throne. She was forced to resign. And in 1578... The uh, the book called the Second Book of Discipline, embodying the full Presbyterian organization, was drawn up. Now let's go back to the politics side. The General Assembly, comprised, comprised of these lords, they uh, uh, made that supreme. Okay, that became the supreme law when it came to religion. And it worked, though, through the provincial synods, okay, the the head organizations. And we're going to notice here in a few minutes how Thomas Campbell became involved in uh, the Presbyterian Church in America through synods and presbyteries and different things. So what they've done, they've set up a government. That's nothing new to us, right? Uh, most denominations, unless they're interdenominational, they stand alone. Uh, they have headquarters, right? They have headquarters. Uh, the church, uh, huge Baptist church in uh, uh, Memphis at one time had 30,000 members, and Adrian Rogers, who was the, quote, pastor of that congregation, he used to be president of the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? And that uh, comprised all Southern Baptist congregations, okay? So they had an immense organization. And so the same thing is happening here in Scotland. And so through the provincial synods and presbyteries all the way down to the local parish. But it was going to be a long time, even over into 1690, before uh Protestantism, this Calvinistic Presbyterianism in Scotland was able to secure its place and able to do the things... uh that it wanted to do. And all this time, do you know what England was trying to do? They were trying to, uh, they weren't inter- interested, the majority of them were not interested in Catholicism. They had been fighting that. Henry VIII left the Catholic Church, right? Uh, declared the Church of England as the state church. So the majority of the people in England weren't wanting Catholicism, though you'd have... Uh, a regent from time to time who was a staunch Catholic. But what they had embraced was Episcopalianism, right? And can you tell me the difference between Catholicism and being an Episcopalian? Not much. The, the, the thing that sticks out in my mind is uh, Episcopal, uh, an Episcopalian or Episcopalianism it's far more liberal, if you can imagine that, than the Catholic Church, okay? They have a lot fewer restrictions, and I didn't think the Catholic Church had very many restrictions anyway. But uh, the Episcopalian Church definitely doesn't have very many. And anyway, so uh, they've been trying to plant this Episcopalian idea into Scotland for many years, and finally... Uh, Presbyterianism was able to win out over that and uh, the Episcopalian church was not able to come in. And so over time, Presbyterianism was recognized in Scotland as the state religion and they had peace. Now, <clears throat> why do we even talk about the Presbyterian church? If, if we look back and we look at some of the greatest movers in this uh, restoration movement, they came from this Presbyterian church. Okay, they had ties to it, you know. Barton W. Stone had ties to it. The Campbells have ties to it, you know. And so uh uh it's important that we kind of understand a little bit about them because it was the framework and the ideology of Presbyterianism that helped push these men in a direction that they would embrace New Testament Christianity. Now, here's one of the big issues that... uh presbyterianism faced was its close tie to civil government i mean it was the state religion right and if you allow the civil government to dictate to you what religion you become a part of what what kind of liberties do you have really beyond that well they've taken the most basic liberties away from you right and in general what do people not like you telling me what to do, right? We don't like that. Uh even when when we're wrong at times, right? We don't like people telling us what to do. And that's just kind of in the nature of people to feel that way. <clears throat> even even those who won't stand up and say anything about it, they still don't like being told what to do. And so that was an issue with Presbyterianism. It was too closely tied and had the support of the civil government and it was being foisted upon the people in general. And so what was the same result? Same thing happened to the Catholic Church. Same thing happened to the Church of England. People got fed up with it. They didn't want to participate in it. And they wanted it out of their face. Okay? Now, at the same time, this general assembly made up of these lords in Scotland began to show their tyrannical bent. Okay? They wanted to uh, uh, demonstrate and they began to show their their spirit of secularism, okay? Uh, When people come together and they have this desire to worship God in the way they see fit, and I'm not saying that's correct, what my point is, is that has to be how it is. People have to be able to approach God in the way they see fit, or else we don't have free will, right? God has given us free will, so we're able to sift through the problems, look at what the Bible says, and come to uh, an educated understanding based on what the Bible says of what God wants. Well, if you have secularism and it's pushed upon us, that takes all that out of the way, right? You're not able to do it. If you do do it, you have to do it in hiding, right? We can go all the way back to the establishment of the church, and that happened in a lot of places, didn't it? They weren't able to, uh, worship God the way God had commanded. Now that wasn't particularly because of secularism. <clears throat> that was more because, uh, the Jewish government who was, uh, being ruled by the Roman Empire at that time, really, they were a theocracy, right? And so it was the same thing, but instead of it just being a secular government, they had, uh, uh, combined those two because in the past, before the church was established, that's how God's religion operated, wasn't it? It was a theocracy. The, the leaders of the, of God's people, of the Jewish nation, they carried out the laws, and the laws were based on what? God's Word. And so the problem is here, is now you've got secularism, with a, with a facade of uh, uh, religion, but nothing's based on God's Word. So what happens? Well, you begin to have a tyrannical government in every form. The Catholic Church ruled politically almost the whole world. They were always fighting with the, the sovereigns of the world. The, the Church of England was very similar to that. And now we see this Presbyterianism uh, coming to the forefront and causing problems... And eventually you kind of get to the point where you say enough is enough, you know. Which straw is it that broke the camel's back? And so that's why it's kind of important to understand the different facets of what was going on in this uh, Presbyterianism at this time. And of course over time things changed a little bit. What they believed then may not necessarily be what they believe today, but it is uh, obviously very closely related. Any comments, questions? Okay, uh, secularism secularism in Scotland, uh, it began to assert itself in the early 1700s, okay, with the union of English and Scottish parliaments, and deism began to become prominent in the country. And so, since that happened, deism becoming prominent, the Church of Scotland became saturated with this secular spirit of the time. Now, let's remind ourselves, what's deism? Um, deism is a belief in deity. You have de and ism. Ism is just a belief system to describe something. But deism is, is separate from theism, okay? We are theists. We believe that God spoke to His people through the inspired Word and He directs us in our lives. We believe that at one time He worked in the lives of His people and in creation in general through miraculous means. Now we believe that He works in the lives of the world, particularly the lives of His people through the Word of God and through what we know as providence, okay? Okay. We don't know how providence works, but we know that He works in the kingdoms of men, that there's this idea, and we talked a little bit about it, I think, Wednesday night, this idea of special providence. And so deism says, okay, I think there was a Creator, there is a God. But He created us, and then He just left us to our own devices. And if that is the case, and God, the Creator, doesn't care... But if you want to worship Him, you can. Is there anything wrong with coming up with your own way to worship? If that's the case? Well, there's not a thing in the world wrong with that, is there? So that's how, uh, deism affects any kind of religion. It becomes very secular. We can do what we want to do. In fact, we can maintain in our government that this is the state religion. So that happened in Scotland, okay, in the, the Church of Scotland. <laughs> But, ultimately, the two parties that were on either side of this came to, uh, it came to a head. You had the moderates and the evangelicals. The moderates, and I, I mean, you know, we use different terminology. That's still happening today. It's happening within the church. The moderates embraced secularism. Just kind of do what you want to do. Uh, in fact, uh, let's make a rule that you do what I want to do. That's kind of the way the moderates operate. And then you had the evangelicals, and they wanted to remain loyal to the old orthodoxy. They didn't want to change anything, right? Now, that could be good or bad, right? Uh, if, if we're talking about doctrine, that's a, that's a good thing. We don't change anything. But if we're talking about matters of opinion, does it make any difference? Times change, people's opinions change, uh, we get tired of blue carpet, we want some other color, right? Or whatever the case may be. And so it's, it has pros and cons. But they wanted to maintain this old orthodoxy, what they'd been used to. And so uh, the majority of the people belonged to the evangelical group. But those in power belong to the moderates. Kind of what's happening in our country today, isn't it, in our political system? I think a majority of the world, uh, of our nation, tend to be conservative. I think the majority of our nation tend to want to preserve human life and the sanctity of marriage. But the issue has been for the last many, many generations is that uh, in my opinion, anyway, through deceit, you have the those uh, elected to office who don't hold those ideals, and you'll have people uh, voting for someone who they would. If you just sat down and you took the names off the paper and you began to write down things that someone upheld, they would never go along with it. But tradition prevents them from changing, and so you had the moderates who were in the decision making. Capacity and so that's where where we had the problem. Uh, Dissension, uh, of course, is being instigated, and it grew. Uh, And in 1712, here's what the parliament did. Let's go back. We've got these lords. The moderates are in the uh, positions of power within the church. And they took away uh, the right of the people to select which preachers they wanted. That's what the Catholic Church had done, right? We're going to put a priest where we want him to be? That's just the way it is. So we're going to notice. That's what the Presbyterian church began to do. Have you ever heard of circuit preachers? Circuit preachers would preach here on Sunday, preach there next Sunday, and and they would preach at a different place in the month, right? Now, they may have a set circuit. And every first... Excuse me, every first... Uh, Sunday of the uh, of the month they preach at White Oak. Well, uh the second Sunday of the month they may be up in Dayton, Tennessee. Or the third Monday they may be further west or further north, and so it's a circuit that they work on. That's really what was happening in the Presbyterian Church. They didn't necessarily have a located guy, uh but they did from time to time. So anyway, uh Time ticked on in 1731, the General Assembly decided when a vacancy was to be filled for the preacher, the election would lie with the heritors being Protestants and the elders. So that's what the heritors were. The the elders of that particular group, they always decided, they didn't come to the congregation and they say, hey, who would you like to uh, fill this vacancy That's what secularism does when it's mixed with religion. We're not going to ask you anything. We're going to tell you what we want, and you just keep sending the money. Right? That's what the Catholic Church is doing. That's what people like this stood up against. When it was the Catholic Church and the Church of England, but now they had become saturated with it. They saw what they wanted. It happened to be what they believed, and so they began to embrace it. And that's when the wheels kind of started falling off of the whole thing. When it came to people standing up, uh, and, uh, saying they didn't want that. Any comments? Questions? Okay. Uh, how do you think the evangelicals saw this idea? Well, they saw it as a complete surrender of their rights. How many of us enjoy that? What was, our whole nation was founded on that, wasn't it? Our whole nation was founded on, don't tell me what I what to do in every single aspect of my life. We were founded on limited government. Don't get in my face with government. Don't tax me without proper representation. I want to be able to stand up and say, I don't like it without fearing going to jail. Right? And that was the same idea that happened in the Catholic Church. Remember, we go all the way back when the Reformation started. What were they doing to these Reformation People like Wycliffe and others, they were hunting them down to kill them because they had the nerve to stand up and talk about what they believed. Well, it cut into the money coffers, okay? And so they didn't like that. And so this is what's happening now in uh, in the Presbyterian church. And the man by the name of Ebenezer Erskine, well, he missed it everywhere, didn't he? Bless his heart, he had a terrible name. He's in a terrible position. Uh, Anyway, uh, he led a group along with three others. He objected to that. And of course, what do they do when they object you or when you object to something they don't like? They're not killing them anymore. Just throw them out of the church. Let's throw them out. We'll get rid of them. We're going to expel you, and you go away and quit causing problems. And so, here's what happened after he was expelled he and some others formed an associate presbytery and that's when the secession church was born the seceder branch of the presbyterian church do you see the disconnect here they still want to be a part of the presbyterian church but not really it's kind of like what the reformation movement was right they 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 uh, uh didn't like what the Catholic Church was doing, but Martin Luther died a Catholic. He was buried in his robes, okay? So it was hard for them to just completely get it. And I can understand that in in, in one sense, right? You grow up to believe a certain thing all your life, and then all of a sudden you find out it's incorrect, and you came to that understanding by reading facts, not opinion. That's got to be hurtful. It's got to be a problem, right? And so, out of all that problem, we had the Secession Church. In 1765, there were about a hundred meeting houses and a hundred thousand members who formerly belonged to the established Church of Scotland, which, of course, was Protestant Presbyterianism. They They were able to get rid of the Episcopalians. They were able to fight off the Catholics, and so now they were firmly staunched in uh, uh, Protestant Presbyterianism, and now you have another associate Presbytery coming up and uh, kind of causing some problems. Well, like I say, in 1765, there were 120 meeting houses. In 1800, not too far off, there were 200. It had almost doubled. But Good fortune and peace and all that kind of stuff didn't uh, it didn't last long before uh, the seceder church itself was characterized with division and problems and people being dissatisfied because what what's kind of been the characteristic? Someone doesn't like the way the Catholic Church is treating them, so they go, uh, they formed the Church of England. Well, they begin to do the same things the Catholic Church did. So the members of the Church of England they don't appreciate it. So they break off into Protestantism. Well, before long they begin doing the same thing, and and so they break off. And now we have uh, an Associate Presbytery, and now they begin to have problems. What is the problem? No one. Yeah, no one is going back to the Bible to decide where the authority is, and they're just doing what they want to do for whoever is in a position of power at that time. There's no uniform uh, embracement of what God wants. They simply do what they want. And it just depends on who's in power at the time. So really, one's as bad as the other, right? It's not helping you any. And uh, so we see this problem in the church of uh, the seceder church now we're going to end here but we're going to pick up next time we're going to look at the seceder church and because of all of this problem what do you think they do they split right down the middle and you have the burgers and the anti-burgers now that's an interesting concept and we'll pick up there next time and we'll understand what that's all about thank you so much